he will honor you with the words he says, Lord. Speak through him, Lord. We just thank you once again. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can sit down. I love the selection. I love when we uh, select our songs for worship. They're pretty awesome. This, uh, the second one, what I'd like to do is just read that first stanza. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the flood of your holy word. Take your truth planted deep in us. Shape and fashion us in your likeness, that the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. Speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. <laughs> you know, one thing that's really interesting about the book of Job, which is where we're going to be, if you guys are surprised at that, I'm sorry. I, I tend to choose the, the most encouraging books to preach out of. You know, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, you know, and Job. And so uh, with that said, Job is actually a really awesome book. It's hard, but it's good. God is gracious and merciful. The book of Job is not about Job, though it is named after him. The book of Job is about the glory of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God to hold us when we walk through the hard times of life, Mr. Bruce. When things don't seem to make sense, when everything seems to be falling apart, but we don't always know what's going on behind the scenes. We do not know what God's plan is or what his purpose is and what he has done and what he's allowed. You know, Job is interesting because he worships after he loses everything. I mean, how many of us can worship after we lose everything? Everything we hold dear. Everything we love. Can we still worship and say, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Can we do that? We didn't know about this conversation between God and Satan. And it's funny that Satan's in heaven at all. For most of us, we think, How? oh, hey, hold on, did I miss something? But he's there. Because, listen, here's the cool thing. That Satan was there because he had to give account to God. He had to submit to the God of heaven because God is the authority. It's not God versus Satan and this is this battle of balance. God won. The battle is done. But now he still have to fight and stand. So if you could stand as we read the word of God. We're going to be in Job chapter 5. We're going to do the first nine verses. I don't even have to read. I heard a reading over here. All right. Call now if there be any that will answer thee. And to which of the saints will thou turn? For wrath killeth the foolish man, and envy slays the silly one. I have seen the foolish taken root, but suddenly I curse his habitation. His children are far from safety. They are crushed in the gate. Neither is there any to deliver them. Whose harvest the hungry eateth up and taketh it even out of the thorns, and the robber swalloweth up all uh, up their substance. 
Although affliction come, cometh forth out of the dust, neither doth trouble spring out of the ground. Yet man is born into trouble as the sparks fly upward. I would seek unto God, and unto God would I commit my cause, which doeth great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. Father, will you bless the reading of your word? Now bless the preaching of your word. May they not come from a man, but Lord God, from your holy word, rightly explained, rightly exposited. Father, I ask that you would have your way in us today, Father. Life is hard, but you hold. Life is difficult, but you keep. Life is sometimes impossible, but you hold all things by the word of your power. So I'm thankful for that. Will you bless us as we walk through this message? In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So Job was written by Moses to show the wrong judgment of Eliphaz against Job. You know, it's really interesting. Eliphaz thinks he knows what's going on. It's as if he has some inside information. But today you will see that you are not to judge the saints foolishly, foolishly when you do not know the details of what's going on behind the scenes or what's going on in their lives. So that only truth today is a deep and powerful truth. Do not foolishly judge the saints. Do not foolishly judge the saints. Okay? Why don't you look what it says in Job 5.1. Call now if there be any that will answer thee. And to which of the saints will thou turn? For wrath killeth the foolish man, and envy slays the evil one. He calls on Job to call now, at this very time, in this very struggle, in this very hurt, to plead out loud. He wants Job to see if there's anyone that will come to his aid and to help him. He's calling Job to examine his life and to examine all those that he has helped and see if there's any of those saints would come up alongside that he could turn to them so they would speak on his behalf. He is purposely attacking Job with a personal jab aimed at the fact that he has helped others and that no one will come and help him. And so Eliphaz has commended Job in the past. He's commended Job for, for, for what he has done. But that, that commendation of Job was actually very short-lived. Listen to what he said about Job. Job 4.3, Behold, thou hast instructed many and has strengthened weak hands. What an awesome thing to say about his friend. And by the way, Eliphaz was a friend. He is a friend. He's just a friend that has lost focus of the goal of encouraging his brother. Okay? You know, and remember, he left everything to come and minister to Job. He sat in the dust with Job for seven days and said nothing along with his other friends. And so they were there doing what is right. And then they opened their mouth. By the way, how often when your, your friend is struggling, do you feel compelled to give words of comfort and words of hope? And sometimes they come out as platitudes. They're, they're good things to say, 
But, you know, it's, it's interesting. Funerals are interesting. I, I actually love doing funerals. Now, it sounds really morbid and kind of odd, but I love doing funerals because that's the best time to preach the gospel. It's the best time because everyone's thinking about mortality. Everyone's thinking about what comes next. And we get to give them words of hope and words of comfort and words of grace and words of mercy. So here's this friend, and he thinks he knows what's going on with Job. Job was a friend to those who needed aid and help. He was a faithful man who encouraged and lifted up the ailing and the fallen. I wonder if Eliphaz was one of those friends he actually aided. For he knew that for a fact that Job had ministered to the lowly and the downtrodden. He knew this. Job was a faithful man and Eliphaz recognized this about him. Remember, Eliphaz was that genuine faithful friend that came to an aid of his friend. But then he unjustly for, uh, implies that Job is a fool or at least leaning towards foolishness. Okay, So Eliphaz has all but forgotten the works of Job, the testimony of Job, his legacy, and he even dismissed them. And so Job 5.3, here's what Eliphaz says. I have seen the foolish taken root, but suddenly I curse his habitation. His children are far from safety, and they are crushed in the gate. Neither is there any to deliver them. So Eliphaz said that he, 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 he sees the foolish beginning to take root, okay, beginning to be planted. Okay? So, you know, so he's really interesting, but he's specifically talking about Job. The gloves are off, and Eliphaz is willing, you know, is willing to attack his friend wrongfully. On the fact that this faithful man who is hurting in the midst of horrible circumstances of life, and it's hard. Could you have faced that kind of loss and continued? Job worshipped. And so, suddenly, Eliphaz said that uh, he cursed his uh, this foolish one's ha own habitation. He cursed the fool's dwelling place, the place where the unwise one resides. Is this not what Eliphaz has perceived has happened in Job's life? Think about it. Job lost it all. They, they, they may not have crushed his children in the gate, but the news of the death of his children in this home has reached the gates of the city, the center of their commerce, center of their law. So Eliphaz goes for the jugular and he says, the fool's children are far from safety. Well, how safe are Job's kids right now? Oh, that's right, they're dead. They're lost. So, I, you know, you wonder what's going on in Eliphaz's mind. This is his friend. And there was none to deliver the children uh, of this foolishness, for they perished. Here's a question. What is a fool? Well, I don't really know, so I'm going to go to what Scripture says. Here's what Scripture says. Psalm 14, verse 1. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, and they have done abominable works. There's none that doeth good. And if that wasn't enough, 
Psalm 53 verse, uh, verse, uh, 53 verse 1 says, The fool said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they, and they have done abominable iniquity. There's none that, that doeth good. They're almost identical. So a fool is one who says in his heart, God does not exist. By the way, today there are many fools. And so, corrupt are they, and full of hateful iniquity and sin, and they do no good. Here's an example of uh, kicking someone when they're down. Here's an example of shooting our wounded. You know, instead of building up Job, who is suffering, struggling, no evidence of sin in his life. And he's taken him out. He's, he's trying to take away everything Job holds confidently. His trust in God. And he's trying to remove it. I don't understand sometimes. Job 5.5. 5, Whose harvest the hungry eat up. And taketh it even out of the thorns. And the robber swalloweth up all uh, up their substance. So the harvest of the fool. The hungry come in and eat. They even took the harvest from the midst of the thorns. The robbers swallowed up the substance of the foolish man. Question, what happened in Job's life? Many of those incidents with his, uh, with his livestock, people came in and took it. And then killed every servant except one. So that someone would go to Job and let him know, hey, I'm saved alone. I'm the only one that made it to let you know. So... Here's Job, his friend. And, and from what Eliphaz says or thinks, Job is suffering because of his sinfulness. Okay? So here's what's really interesting. There went grace. There went mercy. There went love. There went compassion. He is purposely addressing what had happened with Job and all that he lost. And he gets even more pointed, even more hurtful, even more vindictive. Look at verse 6. Although affliction cometh not forth of the dust, neither does trouble spring out of the ground, yet man is born unto trouble, as, spark fly, as sparks fly upward. So although affliction comes forth not from the dust, though it doesn't spring up from the ground, Eliphaz infers that Job is a fool and all this has happened because of his own sinfulness. When troubles come, it doesn't come from nowhere. That's what he's saying. So, Job, all that you're getting, you deserve. That's what he's saying. Oh, gosh. Oh, what a friend that is. And so, the tragedies that Job faced in Eliphaz's opinion, comes forth because Job has brought it upon himself. They, they sprout out from his own sin, for that must be the only reason these things have befallen him. Yet man is born into trouble, and, you know, and just like sparks fly up from the fire, Eliphaz is going to plead with his friend, because he seems to have some inside information as to why these things have happened to Job, happened to his children, happened to his wealth, and happened to his health. And so like a poor doctor, uh, let me rephrase so you know what I mean. 
Not a poor doctor that has no money. A poor doctor that has no wisdom. Like a poor doctor, Eliphaz is addressing symptoms and ignoring the root cause. Because he doesn't know the root cause. He is assuming a root cause. This must be because of sin. In our world today, we actually see this. Why is it that you weren't healed from your cancer? It's because you don't have enough faith. What horse pucky? That means you'd have to look at Paul who said, I cried out three times to the Lord to remove this thorn of my flesh. And here's God's response. My grace is sufficient for you. So what's going on there? That situation with Paul wasn't about Paul. That situation with Paul was about God being able to hold Paul in the midst of his hurt, in the midst of his struggle, in the midst of his pain, in the midst of the horse bucky of life. And so right living does not guarantee blessing and does not guarantee safety. If this can happen to Job, an upright and blameless man, then guess what? It can happen to Eliphaz. And guess what? It can happen to you. So in, in Eliphaz's eyes, he goes, oh my word, if Job, this one that helped everyone, is in trouble, then what hope do I have? If sometime, somehow they believed the lie that if you do, God does. You do, God does. You do, God does. Listen, God, God does, 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 do. I tried. God does. He moves, but he doesn't move the way you think he should. It is outside your pay grade to figure that one out. Just be faithful to do what God has called you to do. So quid pro quo no longer applies. So because of this false belief that, that came uh, because of Eliphaz seeing everything that uh, Job had done is, you know, as going through because of his own sin, he actually challenges Job. By the way, the challenge he gives Job is good. He, he said, what I love about Eliphaz, he does give some good advice to the wrong person at the wrong time. How many of you have given wrong, right advice to the wrong people at the wrong time? I don't know. For some reason, we think we know it all. I know it. He's struggling through. Man, it's because you didn't do A, B, C, and D. Sometimes suffering happens because it happens. It's outside of our pay grade. I do not understand why that happened. I don't get it either. I don't understand why this happened to Job, even though we see a clearer picture, don't we? We see a conversation, two conversations, that happen between God and Satan that we try to wrap our minds around, but it doesn't make sense to us. And it shouldn't, because it's not about us. It's not about Job. It's not about Eliphaz. It's about God. God in his glory to hold his saints. So he says in Job 5.8, he says, I would seek unto God, and unto God I would commit my cause. So he calls Job to look to God, to seek for God. And that is what Job has been doing in this book. It's just not wrapped up in a nice little Christianity. It's wrapped up in messiness. Because he's hurting. He's broken. 
He doesn't curse God and die. He's just saying, God, I don't understand. I've been faithful. I've not sinned against you. I've not, I've not done. I, I, I want to I honor you. I want to praise you. But Lord, you give and you take away, but I don't get this. And you may not get it. I know many of you struggle and get discouraged and get despondent. I do. But God is greater than all that. When your heart condemns you, brothers and sisters, God is greater than your heart. He's the one that made it. He's the one that formed it. He's the one that keeps it and holds it. He's the one that causes you to continue to walk forward in faith and in obedience. So Job's struggle was a battle within his heart. But Eliphaz is reading into the struggles and attributing them to sin when it is not about punishment. Listen, it is about the glory of God. I ask people this question all the time, and I don't really have a definition. But what's the definition of glory? Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, you're doing it all for the glory of God. What's the definition? The only definition that can come up in my mind, because I've read, is when we do something for the glory of God, we are pointing attention to the God of heaven, the brightness of who he is, of his majesty, of his authority, of the way he moves. God is greater. I love John. John is like cool, you know, John the Baptist guy, right? The, the beheaded one. He says, he must increase and I must decrease God does get the glory God gets the praise so he's battling in his heart he has I love I love Eliphaz has the right advice for the wrong man and for the wrong reason Job told uh, you know he told Job to commit his way to the Lord to commit his cause into the hands of God who does what is good and what is right his life is already in the hands of God. And there's a purpose for this struggling. There's a purpose for this struggling. Again, this story is not about Job. This story is about God. It's about God doing what only God can do. So I want you to look back to Job chapter 2 verse 3. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? For there is none like him in the earth. A perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. And still he holdeth fast his integrity. Although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. God brought attention to Job not once, but twice. And so in all this, he knew Job would still fear him. Would still reject evil. And so God brings attention to Satan about his servant, Job, that he held fast his integrity. Job continued to do what is right, even when no one was looking. And he continued honoring God, even when many of us would have given up if it was under our power, wouldn't we have? So it's, it's just interesting. So Job didn't stop trusting God. 
That should encourage our hearts. So God tells Satan this, that even though Satan has moved his hand against Job to destroy Job without cause, Job held on to his integrity because God was holding on to Job. That's pretty amazing. God brought Job to the forefront. This was a planned event to teach Satan, to teach the readers of this book to learn more about God than about Job. Okay? Yes, in all this, there was a reason really to show his people that he is a God who is always about his own glory and nothing else. It's not about you. I know, I know, I know. With commercials like, just do it. You know, uh, you know, uh, you know, let, follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. Bad mojo. Guys, if you, if you, if you knew what happened to my heart, you'd say to me, Tom, you might, you guys, you might want to cut that sucker out. So, it's not about our physical comfort and blessings. So Eliphaz continues and tells Job true things about God. Listen to what he says, Job 5, 9. Which doeth great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. God does great things. Unsearchable things or things that cannot be searched. That's kind of like the impression you get there, right? It's almost like vocabulary, okay? And things that cannot be explained. Things that we may never fully understand this side of heaven. So when you said what you said, Brother Bruce, I felt it. You'll never understand this side of heaven. I, I can't even imagine the struggle going through. And I don't want these to be empty words of platitude. I want you to look to Christ. Because that's the only thing we got. That's the only guarantee in life. Christ. And so... God does marvelous things without number. Can you understand all God does? Neither can I. Can you fathom the deep riches of God? Neither can I. I, I love this. And Pastor Eric uh, is going to preach at uh, Maple Grove. And we'll pray for him before we leave today. But he often uses this verse. Deut Deuteronomy 29, 29. And I want you to. Turn there and I'll pause. We'll use this as a dramatic pause. I hear pages. Deuteronomy 29, 29, just saying. Okay. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So the secret things belong to God. There are things that we will never understand this side of heaven. They belong to God. There are things that he has given us to understand, and those belong to us. And so those things revealed are for us and for our children forever. This is why we, we challenge you guys to share the gospel with your children. This is why we challenge you to have family worship. This is why we challenge you to use the word of God how it's meant to be used. You read it and you teach it. And so, but Romans 11.33. Oh, 
the depth of the riches, both of wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are, uh, are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Who hath been his counselor? By the way, have you counseled God? When he put the sun in the sky, did he come up to you and say, Hey, Stephen, where do you think I should put it? Absolutely not. Now, I don't care if you're a physicist. God didn't ask you squat because he's the all-knowing God. He's the one that, that his ways are unsearchable. They're so far beyond us. Who knows the mind of God? Who of us have been his counselor? By the way, isn't it interesting how we always have a better plan than God? Oh, is that just me? Isn't that interesting? Yeah, uh, yeah, Lord, bless my plan. Yeah, that doesn't go over well. And so, I, I love the song, Who has held the oceans in his hand? Who has numbered every grain of sand? So, you know, who, who has given counsel to the Lord? Not me. Listen, there's a great and glorious God. And he is the one that knows all things. But, but yet Eliphaz believes he knows. Eliphaz believes he understands what ails Job. He believes he knows the mind of God and attributes of these circumstances that Job is going through. He, he attributes to wickedness and foolishness. But again, Job was an upright man, but Eliphaz was not privy to the conversations between God and Satan. He didn't know. So should we beat the snot out of Eliphaz? Absolutely not. This is still a good friend. It's just a good friend that lost focus of what he was there to do. And it was to encourage his friend. And so should Job cry out to God? Yes, he, could, he should. But not because he is wicked, he was wicked in this, but because God is good. God gives rain upon the earth and he waters the field. God exalts the lowly, he, the humble, and those who mourn, those who are broken, can be exalted and brought to safety. So, so does Eliphaz see Job as lowly and humble? The answer is no. Because he sees Job overtaken with pride. Because he doesn't recognize his sin that Eliphaz thinks he has. But be careful to judge rightly. Not according to your own opinions, but according to the word of God. Be careful when you begin to give advice and make assumptions that are brothers in sin. Bring it to the Lord in prayer. Do not speak hastily for Proverbs 18, 13. Another favorite of Pastor Eric. He that answereth the matter before he hears it, it is folly and a shame unto him. Whoever answer, answers uh, a, a situation of, of something he hears before he hears it all is a fool. Is a fool. And so let us not be foolish. Be a good listener. Have many conversations. Lead them to honor God with their lives. For if they are genuine believers, God will hold them fast. And he will hold them true. Do not assume that you know the inner workings of a man's heart. Use the word of God as it's intended. Proclaim it, and faith will come by hearing, and hearing will come by the word of God. 
Be gracious with believers. Be patient. Remember that each of us are different points in our lives and we struggle differently. Do not assume you know all the answers. Last I checked, the word has the answers. And last I checked, it is beyond our pay grade. We do not get paid enough. If you, so one of the things is really neat. So be faithful to listen and communicate. Uh, for a man of understanding will dig deep and go fishing for what ails the hearts of men. Guys, it's okay to address the hearts of men. But you best be doing a lot of listening, a lot of praying, and a lot of fishing. And I can't fish worth squat. I catch colds better than I do catching fish. But what I do love is the fact that God hasn't called me to be a fisher of fish, but a fisher of men. God is, hasn't called us to save anyone, but to preach the gospel. Because the gospel saves, because the God of the gospel saves. Proverbs 25 says, The counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. That's fishing. That's a great counseling verse, too. So if you know Christ, study his word. Look to him. Okay, Apply it to your life. Do not give wrong counsel, because wrong counsel comes from your wrong opinions. Let the word of God speak. It's enough. It's enough. It is sufficient. In 1980, there was the, the Baptist resurgence where the conservatives took over the convention and they began to uh, really apply the inerrancy of Scripture that the Scripture is, is, is sufficient for all things. And we're in that battle again. But what is the rule of thumb? What is the guiding principle? It is the word of God, not the opinions of men. Not some, some, some theory out there. Some godless ideology. It is the word of God. It's the word of God. So I'd like to challenge you with this. Let your life be like Ezra. Ezra 7.10. Listen to what it says. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel the statutes and judgment. So Ezra set his heart to study God's word, actually do what it said, and to actually teach it to others. What would happen if the church of Christ would grab hold of that? What would happen if saints grabbed hold of the word of God, applied it, and actually taught it? There would be a great revival in our land, regardless of who the president is. Because God is still on his throne. And so Jesus tells his disciple when he was speaking about healing on the Sabbath because the Jews were wrongly judging him. Well, isn't that a quinky dink? <laughs> People who wrongly judge Jesus. Okay. But uh, John 7, 24, judge not according to appearance, but judge, uh, but judge righteous judgment. So judge not by what you perceive. But judge by what is right judgment, which is always according to God's right word. In selecting David as king, listen to what God tells Samuel. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on his height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeks not as man sees, sees not as man sees, but the Lord looks on the, I mean, but, uh, 
Let me rephrase. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Don't choose by what you see. Don't go by what you think. Don't go by your opinions. Because man always look for outward experiences or outward influences or outward circumstances or outward appearances. But God always looks at the heart. What Eliphaz did was not even close to discipline. Would you agree with that? Because there was no evidence of wrongdoing on, on uh, Job's part. He didn't correct as the Bible would have him correct. Matthew 18, 15 says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. So church discipline is never about kicking people out of the church, kicking them when they're down, shooting the wounded. It's about restoration. It's about help for the sinning, ailing brother to be restored to the body of Christ. So what we see here is an unbiblical way to correct. Because it wasn't about sin. It was about God. So if these verses are employed without the purpose of loving and helping the ailing brother to be restored, it is not discipline. It is actually vengeance. And vengeance is not ours. So, so let's be wise. If you do not know Christ, you will naturally judge wrongly. You need the knowledge of Christ, which only comes when you repent and believe the gospel. When you look to Christ and live. When you look to what he has done on the cross on behalf of sinners. His blood shed, his body broken. When you repent and believe in Christ who died for sin, your sin. <coughs> sin is wicked and evil. But Christ is holy and just. The holy and just innocent when died and was condemned as a sinner so that wicked, guilty people would repent and believe in the, in the righteous God through the shed blood of Christ. So if you do not know Christ, I challenge you to look to Christ. Christ came and died. And if you to repent and believe the gospel, not only will he save you, not only will he restore you, not only will he keep you and, ho and hold you, but he will hold you through the trials of life. I'd like to read you one more passage as we close. It's in Hebrews. Okay. Hebrews chapter 1. Verse 3. Two, oh, that's, not, that's, that's, that's Acts. Sorry. That's the wrong book. There's another book called Hebrews. Uh, by the way, in Spanish, Echos. I just got confused with the H. I'm going to try again. Spanish or English, guys? English. All right, cool. All right. Who be in the brightness of his glory, it's talking about Christ, the express image of his person. Christ is the express image of who God is. And upholding all things by the word of his power. Christ holds what? All things by the word of his power. When he had by himself, listen to what he did, he purged our sins 
and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. If you're not in Christ, look to Christ. He saves. And the evidence of that is not because you walked in aisle, said some prayer, got dunked in some water. The evidence of that is you will have a changed life. You'll have a changed life. So with that said, I'm going to pray, and I know we're going to sing, but I want you to listen to this. There's again the song again. Speak, Lord. Teach us, Lord, full obedience, holy reverence, true humility. Test our thoughts and our attitudes in radiance of your purity. Cause our faith to rise. Cause our eyes to see your majestic love and authority. Words of power that can never fail. Let their truth prevail over unbelief. Father, would you bless us as we sing and worship? Help us to turn our eyes unto Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face so that the things of earth would grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. We are singing, yes? Oh, Father, we come before you. Lord, help those that know you, Lord God, to keep their eyes firmly fixed on Christ. To look in his wonderful face until the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. For those that do not know you, Lord God, may they turn their eyes upon Jesus. May they repent of their sin. May they look to Christ and live. Find hope and rest in Christ who is righteousness. Pray that you would just have your way. Father, help us to read your word, apply your word, teach your word, proclaim your word, so that men and women would look to Christ and live. Be exalted and lifted up. Today, encourage and help, hold and keep. Pray that you please be with Pastor Eric as he preaches uh, at uh, Moorhaven. Father, that the people there in that sister church, Lord God, would be encouraged in the word, would look to Christ and rest in Christ, and that sinners would be converted. Father, I do pray, pray that you please be with the McElhaney family. Lord God, you know what ails them. You are the one that can restore and help, hold and keep. Lord, I ask that you would have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.